Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hello, everyone. I am your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, Jamie Birch. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining. Today, we have one of our clients, Nick Chero, Director of Marketing at Princess Cruises, and Emma Wolf, Digital Marketing Manager at Princess Cruises, a client we've worked with for uh, some years. Very excited to have them both on the podcast today. We cover a ton of stuff. Before we get to the episode, we have a bunch of new packages available at JB Commerce, the main sponsor of the podcast. It's a company that I founded 19 years ago this past October. We're sliding into year 20 here in 2024 and worked with a ton of different advertisers. We have done something different this year and have put all our services into four different packages. If you're wondering what you're going to receive and how much that is going to cost from your agency, then head on over to jebcommerce.com slash elements, and you'll see the four different packages that we have. One thing that's been missing from the agency side is real transparency on what every advertiser is getting and what they're paying for that service. So we have a bunch of different packages that range from top shelf, you get everything you need and as much time of our team and as many of our team that you need to receive or achieve your goals all the way down to a package where you just need to make sure things keep moving and nothing gets missed, approvals get approved, those sort of things. So check out that page. Now, I've worked with Emma and Nick for several years now. We started working together during the pandemic, and they are amazing individuals. I was reminded today of just why me and my team enjoy working with them so much. It's been one heck of a journey for them going through the pandemic and the rebound of travel and now settling in where things are quite a bit back to normal. And we talk about quite a bit today. They both have very interesting origin stories. And I know this is a podcast I'm going to share with my kids who we are going around and visiting colleges over the next 12 months and their stories of what they went to school for, what they ended up doing, and some of the changes they made during that time are going to be real helpful. So I think you'll enjoy listening to them just as much as I enjoy talking to them every chance that I get. I'm going to step out of the way so you can and listen to my conversation with Nick and Emma. Now, you may see at one point we had a bit of a technical problem on my end. I don't know what happened, but I could no longer see them or hear them. They could hear me. Uh, so you may see about 35 minutes into this interview where there's a hard stop and a, a restart. So that's what happened. But I don't think it takes away from this conversation. The conversation was so great. I only got to about half of my questions for them. So we're going to set up uh, a second episode where we get to go over everything else. So stay tuned for that. But 
Again, I'm going to get out of the way. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Nick and Emma from Princess Cruises. All right. Well, Nick and Emma, thank you for joining me on our podcast today. I'm super excited to get you on here. For our listeners, we have Nick Chero, the Director of Marketing at Princess Cruises, and Emma Wolf, the Digital Marketing Manager at Princess Cruises, a client of JEB Commerce. I'm super excited to have you guys. Did I get the names correct? Yeah. Yeah, you did. You got the names. You did. Actually, uh, we are on a journey here at princess and i the, the titles may be changing slightly so if you're Ooh. listening to this podcast and then after we've recorded it uh, you might know well see i already screwed it up <laughs> i know uh, where you're going i think everyone yeah, does yeah our our titles are changing around here as our media and marketing strategies are evolving and, and so our titles might be different here in the next month but we're still the same people yes yes <laughs> Great. And for our listeners, if you're wondering, how can they be clients? And I just got their names right. No, we were confirming the name pronunciation as I always do. And Nick, I learned that it wasn't too long ago where you realized the way you were pronouncing your last name had been incorrect for quite a while. Yeah. Just to to rehash that for a second, I thought my last name was Charo until... I was uh, getting married, and then I realized after my relatives were attending some of the uh, wedding functions ahead of the the wedding that it was actually pronounced Chero. So uh, it took me some adjustment, but I think after 24 years of rocking the wrong pronunciation of my last name, I finally got it right. (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, thank you guys for joining. Love the backgrounds. As you can see, I am joining you today from my tack room. We have a little bit of work going on in the house and it's kind of demolition time. And so it is very, very loud. It's very cold. So if you hear my teeth (laughs) chattering, it's because the very tiny heater that we have in here to make sure the hoses don't freeze isn't quite enough to keep it a room temperature 72. I'm picking up not just your background, but as you're raising your arm, do you have you have some tattoos that you're? I don't know you're what you're riding. talking about, Nick. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, actually, I, I have more. I have probably more questions yeah, for you now than you have for me. <laughs> well, shoot, go for it. <laughs> no, well, no, I'm just like Honestly. as we've gotten to know each other, you're very buttoned up. You got a, a great sense of affiliate marketing, and usually, like everybody's got a little bit of flair, but I didn't expect the sleeve. So, you know, I have to say it comes from my mom. She was the first in the Birch household to get a tattoo well before any of us did. And uh, oh, that's that's good. I feel like that opens the floodgates. It did. It did. She got a little heart on her chest and then it just went from there. And actually, I think every adult in my family is inked. So, yeah, some people get surprised because I do have sleeves and a collar but yeah once you get one you just keep going so yeah <laughs> they Very are cool. addictive for sure well i appreciate you guys joining we got a, a bunch of topics that we discussed on our prep call but start out with where you guys started how did you get into digital marketing what was that journey like and maybe nick you can start and then emma you can you tell us your story yeah i mean there's 
you know, I'm trying to reflect back on my journey and it has been a circuitous path to be where I am. And I don't think, I would say even when I was like in junior high and in high school, I thought I was going to be like a cinematographer. I thought I was going to go into film and I was interested in photography. I was like making skate videos for my friends. I was like a nerd in that I was like reading books on cinematography, subscribed to like an American cinematographer magazine. And I go into to college and I took some film classes. I took some photography classes and I actually was working as a production assistant on America's Funniest Home Videos for a little while. And the precursor to a good... 50% of my TikTok and YouTube feeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that show still hits. Through all of kind of the peaks and valleys of my college education, I came out majoring in photography, started a, a, a wedding photography business, all while I was working as a graphic designer right out of college. And I quickly realized like I was a good photographer. I liked running a business. I was an okay graphic designer, but I didn't see my passions really in the graphic design space. But I'd always liked kind of the aspect of photography that was like building a business and seeing the effort that I put into to marketing myself returning in the form of new clients. And I thought, okay, yeah, I came out of the college with an undergrad in art and as an undergrad in art during a recession and I was doing pretty well with photography, okay with design, but I think at that point I was like, I need to go back to school and get a secondary degree. So that's when I got my MBA. So at the time I was the only MBA student with an art undergrad, which was a, a fun position to be in. I was like, I think a asset to a lot of my cohort that they needed that kind of creative perspective. And then I got my foot in the door with like my first gig in 2000, I would say true marketing and digital marketing, uh, cut my teeth in those first couple positions, you're doing a whole mix of things. So that's where I leaned into affiliate marketing pretty heavily working for a, a small e-commerce site. That's where I also got a handle on managing Amazon and eBay storefronts, listing products and getting a really good understanding of what works and what doesn't work in yeah. the area of digital marketing. So I just had a few of these like stepping stone positions that got me to where I currently am at Princess, where I started out as a manager of digital marketing and now you know, moved up the ladder, if you will, as a, a director of marketing slash media. That's the gist of my origin story. Now, when you went, and Emma, I, I want to hear your story too. Yeah, you, no, but please. Nick, when you saw like what you had gone to school for, that wasn't going to be your career. Was that a difficult moment or were you just moving? Oh, I got to go do this. Or was it difficult to go, man, I just went to school for this. This is what I thought I was going to do. Yeah, I think there were some moments where I had to like, get real with myself of what is it that I want out of life. And I think there are a couple of things that kind of happened. One, it, during my undergrad, while I was going into film, and I thought that was what I was interested in, I realized that I did not have the level of passion 
even though I was an, a nerd in some cases when it came to reading books on cinematography, that attention to detail that is almost obsessive for my friends in the film program, like I, they had, they would just be able to focus on something and shoot and reshoot and reshoot. And that was just not, I think a, after I had done it for a while, was something that I couldn't bring to the table. I have attention to detail to a certain extent, but I realized that maybe my impression of what I thought I would be into started to change. I started to investigate and explore what were the things that were that I also had an interest in. And I was like, I realized I was like pretty decent with numbers. I realized I still have that creative element, that creative itch you still get to see. Yeah. So those two things together, I also, funny enough, and Emma, I'm sorry, I told you guys, like, I don't, you guys got to keep me on the, on the tracks here. This we'll is get, fantastic. We'll get, Go on. Emma, this Go is on. all about me. I'm having my moment right now. We'll get to you. No. Uh, no one's objecting with that. And nobody, the cool thing yeah. is it's not on tape anymore. So it's not even a hard drive. It's online. You can talk all you want. <laughs> well, the funny thing is actually I'm now reflecting back. So my dad was a lawyer for uh, a long while. And I loved the guy. He provided for our family, but he wasn't like raking it in as a lawyer. He was like your everyday kind of lawyer, but he had his own business. I remember 18, 18, 19, trying to help him with his business. And I'm like, dad, you need a website. You need to think about SEO. <laughs> Let's do some headshots. So I always had that kind of like business mindset. So that's where some of those things started to coalesce. And I think why marketing was a natural fit for me. Great, great. And definitely, I, I do know quite a few creatives when they made a switch, they made it into marketing because you could still get that creative element to it, but, but it was something they were a little bit more passionate about. So yeah. Emma, how did you, how did you get to be here? Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, Nick plays a big role in me getting to here and where I am now at Princess. But to walk it back a few steps, I grew up thinking I was going to be a doctor because I loved school. I always did really well in school, science, math, really not to toot my own horn, but every subject. And I loved them all. And because I had always done really well in them, it was like an expectation that like, oh, you'll be a doctor one day. And I remember I wanted to be a pediatrician. I shadowed a pediatrician my junior year of high school. And I thought, this is great. Like I would get to see babies and take care of kids. And I love babies and children. And so I thought that this will be perfect. And I remember getting to college and taking my first chemistry course and being like, oh, Maybe not. <laughs> uh, and then I remember going home for Christmas break, my freshman year of college, and I already was feeling like a fish out of water because I did really well in high school. I went to the University of Notre Dame where I was around brilliant people, people who I, I was no longer, again, at the risk of sounding conceited, I wasn't the smartest kid in my class anymore. I was around incredibly smart people and people who were so smart and didn't have to study. And I'm sitting there in this chemistry course being like, oh my goodness. And so I remember going home and I ran into 
Oddly enough, one of my brother's ex-girlfriends, I have three older brothers, this is my oldest brother's ex-girlfriend who was in her residency in med school. I had a long conversation with her. We ran into each other at a salon and I realized through the course of my conversation with her, medicine is not the path that I want to pursue. What I had signed up for my freshman year of college was I was going to be pre-med and I was going to have psychology as my, my major. And because I always love psychology and just the way that people think. And so I remember having a conversation with my dad and being like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of this? My dad was in sales and he had his bachelor's in advertising. And he and I, my whole childhood would watch commercials and look at marketing things out in oh, the world wow. and, and comment on them and be like, oh, that was a terrible commercial. Oh, what a great commercial that really hit on the emotion or it had humor or whatever it was. And I remember sitting back and thinking, what has psychology, what works with people, but is more on the business side of things, what would that be? And it was just like this light bulb went off that marketing was the way to go. So made a quick pivot for the second semester of my freshman year and then all through the rest wow. of college with marketing as my major. And I actually got Spanish as a second major. And that was a whole interesting endeavor on its own. But so then I graduated and moved to California. Can I, and, can I interrupt? Yeah. The w one thing that I wanted to kind of like talk about because you mentioned psychology mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if this is something we can get into later or if it's just something we can just riff on right now. But I do think that one thing that I have, have taken for granted to some extent is that I, I, I think as marketers, I, maybe this is a common thing, but we're probably pretty curious people and, and, and in a way that is like curious about how people think and how they make decisions and where they're coming from and, and what are their motivations, because those are the kinds of questions and I'm sure, Emma, you would probably confirm this, but I certainly ask a lot of questions when we're being briefed on a new partner. I'm like, okay, yeah, asking them like all the questions, probably the point of being an annoyance, but I would imagine trying to understand how people tick mm -hmm. is a driver to why you gravitate towards marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I... Every quiz that you can take that tells you about yourself, the Myers-Briggs test, the motivational value system, all of those things point me in the direction of being a people person that has like that. I think to anyone that meets me, they know that like pretty much within the first few minutes. And that is 100% why I think I gravitate to marketing so much is that it's such a people driven field, not only the interpersonal relationships that you build within developing marketing plans that for whomever your audience is, but then it's understanding your audience so that you can talk to them in the right way and knowing how they tick. I feel like I probably become a broken record, but a lot of times in meetings when someone has perhaps a totally different way of thinking about something, I'm like, okay, well, what's the psychology behind that? Psychologically speaking, do people think this or this or and yeah, I feel like that is something that absolutely drives me is just understanding people, loving people and wanting marketing that speaks to them in the right way. And that's why I'm like, that's why I thought it was so funny that it was such a light bulb at the time. Oh my gosh, duh, marketing. 
Um, if someone had been watching your life play out, they're like, oh, she's going to go into this. She just doesn't <laughs> know it yet. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's just funny. I was like an ambassador for my high school where we would give tours to prospective students and all this stuff. And Being marketing. A hundred percent marketing. Like all of the boxes were there. I just wasn't seeing them. And probably I'm sure a lot of people get into a rut like that with school or their family or society. And that's not to say that my family absolutely supports what I do. They didn't care that I switched from being pre-med to marketing. That wasn't a concern at all. But it is funny. Every job in the book, my parents would be like, you'd be good at that. You'd be good at that. <laughs> and then it was just trying to find what <laughs> I was like, you have very about. supportive parents. <laughs> very. She does supportive. have great parents. She loves her parents. <laughs> I do. Shout They're out to Emma's friend. parents. <laughs> <laughs> Kim and Jeff. Maybe we'll you. get them on the podcast next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I had yeah. a similar experience. I, I was going to go for stream biology, a very narrow niche in college. And then I realized you really couldn't make money doing that. And money was high on my what I wanted to do. And then I went into exercise science. For me, it wasn't the chemistry. I did one semester of that. And then they showed me my classes for next semester and it involved a cadaver lab. Oh, and yeah. I went, wait, wait, wait. We have dead people on campus? They're like, oh, yeah, it's at this building. I'm like, I walk by that building every day. They're like, yeah, that's where the cadavers are. Like people's parents and brothers and sisters are in there dead. <laughs> They're like, yes. And I'm like, where's the business school? I need to get out of here. I cannot do that. And then I switched into economics and finance. This is a great episode I want my kids to listen to. We're about to travel and start exploring colleges. My two youngest are 15 and 17. And we're starting to look at those schools. And it's really cool to hear how Nick went and got your degree in the thing you thought you were going to be passionate about. Later, that changed. And Emma, how you changed so quickly once you got there. Really yeah. To hear. Yeah. And I feel like my college experience was so great. And I, just a word of advice to your kids or for any kids that are going to school, trust your gut like more than anything, mm -hmm. because when I stepped on campus, and I wasn't even sure I was admitted to Notre Dame at the time. But when I stepped on campus, I was like, oh, this place, this, this is it. And I, but then I just tried to convince myself. I was like, I'm not getting into this school. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so then I talked myself out of it. And then when I found out I did get in, it was celebrations all it's around. Such a but great school. Yeah, I was really fortunate enough to go there. I'm still shocked they let me in. And I'm glad I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, Emma, um, knowing Emma has got like uh, academic intelligence in addition to uh, her marketing prowess, I usually tap her whenever I'm like drafting up some kind of like email where I got to convince somebody of something or I've got to just make a strong first impression. I'm always running it by Emma first because I know she's got a solid sense of does this make grammatical sense? Does this drive home the point? Is there like a, a solid topic sentence? So I appreciate that. Well, and Emma, you said something that I, I don't think in three seasons has ever been said about marketing. And that's, I love people. I don't think that has been said. <laughs> and I have four kids and they're so different. And one of them would never look at marketing as a way to love people. It's a capitalistic thing. And yeah, it's, it provides a lot, but really what good are you doing kind of deal. But I've always looked at it as we are, like you said, trying to understand the consumer. And what are their mm -hmm. wants and needs and how can we 
facilitate that. If we're successful, we're doing that. And as a way of loving people, that has never been mentioned on this podcast, <laughs> but it's at the core. What do you, can you explain a little more about that? Yeah, well, I'm glad to be the first to mention it. Sure, you can look at anything pessimistically or from the lens that like marketing is driven by capitalism or what have you. But ultimately, it also comes down to being a really good brand too, right? Um, But ultimately, we have the pleasure of marketing memories and vacations to people. But I think at the heart of what any company should be is not only the people that work there, but the people that they're catering to. So why not understand what they want and what they want to hear and speak to them in that way? Because if you're not, then no doubt you're not getting customers. So I think just looking at it from like an empathetic lens, I think compassion is a big thing that gets left behind a lot in business, but is so vital. And marketing is like the vehicle for compassion for other people too. I know that sounds funny, but that's the way I look at it. And like I said, luckily we work for a really cool brand that gets to deliver really awesome product to people. So no, we're not marketing like financial services, but, and I say, I'm sure the people that want to market financial services to people are there to help people as well. I think there's a sense of at the end of the day, you're trying to get somebody to feel something, whether it's humor or if it's like tugging at heartstrings, there's some emotion tied to it. And sometimes I think that can get overlooked as Mm -hmm. a metric you and I were somewhere the other day, or no, someone presented something it was, to a conference yeah. and it was like goosebumps is a metric. I wish we knew who said that. So we could, it was, it. I could find it was somebody notable. It was, was someone very notable. He was the CMO of Coca-Cola. I'll find okay. His name. So there you go. Top tier. Yeah. And yeah. I just thought because we get so buried in click through rates and performance metrics that it, you sometimes get further away from the thing that maybe actually matters a little bit more, like the things that people are feeling. And sometimes it's hard for, depending on the size of your business, if you are a mom and pop shop, trying to worry about how someone feels is maybe a little bit abstract. You just need to get them into your store to make a purchase of some kind or sell something online. But I think even you scratch that surface a little bit and you're trying to spark some kind of reaction and that marketing kind of helps do that, I think. So whether you're selling cruises or you're selling what I was thinking about boba because (laughs) there's like a boba shop. Yeah, boba tea shop that just opened. Well, not just opened, opened up a couple months ago and I've not seen anyone in there. And I'm like, I'm walking by, I'm like, man. I want to go talk to them, maybe help them out. You want to help them out? I did that at a coffee shop and they like don't want me back in there again. No. (laughs) The kebab place right next door to the boba place, I did ask at one time. I'm like, you realize you could advertise a little on social media. You guys have some really great food. And you guys could probably, because the guy works so hard. I'm like, let's get this guy a little extra business. So making people happy, Emma. Yeah. I love it. And it never turns off, never turns off. I'm the same way. When you guys, especially coming out of the pandemic, talk about empathy and compassion, a world needed to get out. 
And you guys are offering a product that does just that. I remember as we were working together, there was a lot of, oh, what is going on? What do we need to do? And what a consumer wants? And there was a lot of pressure. But was there a lot of satisfaction of seeing, hey, the world's getting back out again. And we're a big part of that. Yeah, that was a, a really challenging time. We're on the other side of it. Now that we're in a pretty good place with things, it's almost hard to really imagine what we all went through, but it was really reassuring to see when we first started getting people back on our ships, like the love the, the crew had for our guests, the love that our guests had for the crew. It was like one of the things that our guests, I think, love most about our brand is the service and is that kind of relationships that they had with the people on the ship. And so it was like, it was really heartwarming to see the guest and the staff on our ships kind of reunite. That was one phase. And now we're seeing great demand. People are cruising as much as they ever were. And so now we're finally at this point where things are feeling really good. So those are just a couple of thoughts. I don't know if Emma, you want to add on? Yeah. Seeing the world come back to travel, especially for us, was like a hallelujah kind of moment because Nick and I being in the paid media space was really tough. It was like, how do we pivot and support the business as best as we can when we're not sailing and when there's a lot of uncertainty to now, it's like we, it's a a privilege to, I'll say, like, our team and Nick can probably back me up on this is like the most highly visible team of the marketing department in the sense, because we are trying to do as much as we can in the paid media space to support the demand that we've seen. Well, Emma, do you remember we went through these kind of phases as well, like where Mm -hmm. we were trying to during the heart of the pandemic, I don't know if it was 2020 or 21, it all blends together, but it was like, reminding people why we travel. Actually, we had these like chapters, like chapter one was like dream with us. Like it was all about keeping people thinking about it. And then it was about reminding people like why we want to see the world and experience what it has to offer. And we had some really great vignettes that a a great coworker, Scott Martin, he had filmed all these he had interviewed all these wonderful real life, or how do I say it? Basically, he went around the world, like prior to the pandemic, asking people why we travel. And it was such a wonderful moment to actually surface those stories in a time when people really needed to hear that the most. And this was like chapter two of, of this journey we're on. And then finally, this like kind of trifecta, Oh, we lost Jamie. Here we go. Yeah. There. Yeah, can you hear us? We're back and it's recording. Yes, I see you. I hear you. Okay, good. <laughs> the last I heard was he had gone around the country before the pandemic and you guys were recently. Yeah. This is why we travel. Yeah, and it, yeah. it was just kind of like served up at the perfect moment. So I don't know if there's any of that story that I need to retell, but... No, I think we got it. And talk about an emotional connection and what a great product to really feel that. And then what a case study of what to do when you can't sell your product. 
<laughs> yeah. You literally cannot. Yeah. And the final kind of like chapter during that time before things really started rocking and rolling was this kind of, oh my gosh, Emma, what was it? It was the, the vac- oh my gosh, I should know this. Help um, me out here, Emma. Vacation. Um, I'm thinking vacation. Not real vacation. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. That was it was- real vac- yeah, it was the real vacation. Treatment or real vacation. No, real vacation. It was like, yeah. th- th- so, oh my gosh, apologies listeners for <laughs> having to sit through that. But uh, unless Jamie does some fancy editing and cuts that part <laughs> No, that's great. It's but real. I love it. The real vacation was the last chapter in this period in which we're trying to reflect on kind of the state of where people were at and how people had been vacationing in unconventional ways during the heart of the pandemic. And so we wanted to play on that. We all did those road trips. We all were doing those Airbnbs, cooking our own dinner, making our own beds. And we were finally at this point where let's take a real vacation, one where you can truly relax. And it, it, it did give people some chills. It was a nice button on this journey that we were on during the pandemic. I love it. And going back to that goosebumps is a metric. One of the things that we talked about, and I have goosebumps. I don't know if it's because it's cold or just hearing that marketing message. It still resonates even now. And I think the next generation who didn't have to go through that won't really know what that was like when we were able to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. But Nick, you talked on our prep call and you talked a little bit about it so far today, we get so hyper-focused on data, clicks, conversion rates, average orders, regions these are coming from, return rates, all those things. But there's a lot that we can't see. And there's metrics, maybe metrics that we really can't measure. You had a really good name for it. Can I say that? I know that may you become can, a book someday. And I, don't wanna... <laughs> I think so. When things maybe slow down a little bit in life, I may be writing that book if it's still relevant, which I think it will, but go and ahead. I'll edit it. I volunteer yeah, to thank edit you. that book. Yeah. And, and I would love to share it with the world, but you called it the dark matter of marketing. So talk yeah, to me I... about that. That's one of the things that I think is the strength of digital marketing is also our weakness. We can measure so mm-hmm. much and we can distill it down to a metric and there's still, there's another person on the side of that metric. And as we try to determine intent and emotion behind a click that can be lost, but what do you mean by dark matter of marketing and how do you use that? What do you do with it? So, I mean, I, I think all the things that you're saying play into it, right? And it's the same thing around goosebumps as a metric where we can get hung up on these very black and white type of metrics. And whenever I've done analysis, or even when I've just looked at like user journeys, that's a a great descriptor. They are journeys. There are so many things involved in making purchases that as much as we want to understand about how someone decided to make the, the purchase or pull the trigger, we're never going to understand it at all. And I think being into science, when I read somewhere that like 99% of of reality is unobservable, I'm like, oh, that's like marketing, right? There are so many things that you don't see that you just have to come to terms with that reality. Is that true? That 1% or that 2%. And actually, I do occasionally present to my alma mater, Cal State Northridge, 
go matadors. <laughs> One of the things that I talk about is like marketing is a nudge. And mm. I think sometimes it could be a big nudge, but I also think it's just a slightest nudge. And I think that nudge is that 1% that we can actually impact because the other 99% of things is really hard to control. There's like a, a skepticism that I have even in my own ability as a marketer to change someone's direction. And I think it's just the a healthy amount of questioning is what I'm doing, is what we're doing actually moving the needle? And then it, it provokes you and compels you to, to, to think creatively about a solution and then not approach something from like, well, I need to deliver this. So I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and I'm going to solve all my problems. I think people can get carried away with thinking that this one thing is going to result in an expected output. Mm. So I think that really defines the kind of dark matter of marketing concept. I think the other way that we were joking uh, a, a couple of weeks ago is we like to zig more than we zag or zag more than we zig. And by the way, that is a book because I did look it up. I'm like, okay, that does sound like a title of a book. So <laughs> that one's already taken. Bummer. <laughs> so for you, it's not so much trying to learn the unknowable. It's more of yeah. just like setting the marketing in its rightful place of, of there are all these things we can't know, but we can. Do you think that is that like a humility into our marketing? that yeah yeah i don't know where my yeah, question I think it's is like there it's accepting the fact that there are things that you're just never going to be able to know but you know what you can do is know all of the things that you can know to the fullest i think we do a really good job of the things that we can control we are building dashboards we're running attribution analysis we are doing incrementality studies we're doing a b testing we're doing all these things to at least be able to really understand what we can to, to be comfortable with the things that we don't understand. Yeah. Now, how do you bring that sort of the unknowable and knowing that, okay, we only really know 1%. And if we can get as close as we can to knowing 100% of that 1%, how do you bring that into things like practically like budgeting, where to spend money, what channels to focus on? Yeah, I think that's where you have a balance of, okay, what do you have 100% confidence about and what do you have less than 100% confidence about? And I think the reality is we work in an environment where thinking about a small sliver of that 1% and taking that to build a marketing budget off of, like you, you're going to have to use your best, kind of going back to what Emma was saying, is like there's a gut feeling about what you're doing and that as much as I love data and, and analytics and, and analysis, that there is still a level of that intuition that you just get through practice. And I think one of the other things I, I learned at these small companies, when you did do something, when you did have a specific marketing tactic, you really did not have to do any advanced analysis because you knew whether it delivered. If, if you were a mom and pop shop and you 
put a billboard out or you send an email newsletter out, chances are you're going to start to see those benefits of that work. But when you're at a larger company where there are so many additional inputs, it's harder to, to really understand what's working. But it's through our experiences that we do do proper forecasts and we do think about audiences and we do think about how do we get in front of the right number of people. I think that's the other thing. I, if I'm being a little long-winded, I think I'm going to land the plane on this no, thought. Not at all. This is, is that great. In, an, yeah, in an absence of things that you can really 100% guarantee, you still have a couple of things that are important. One is what are your business goals? Mm. And two, what kind of audience sizing do you need to think about in order to achieve those goals? I imagine like in your own business, you're thinking about, okay, well, there's only so many advertisers. There's only so much time in the day to reach these advertisers, to bring them into your wonderful affiliate agency. Like those two data points allow for the kind of framework of your media and marketing strategies. Yeah, it's a grounding, a foundation always, or a a (laughs) North Star. I I just recorded a a podcast this morning, a solo, just me talking about alignment. And it really get back to what your goal is as you're creating your plan. What's the goal? You may have your own goal in your department. What's the company's goal? And are are you aligned with that? We're going to have to do uh, a session two of this podcast. We are bumping (laughs) up against time. And I want to be respectful of that. So hopefully this has been outside of our little technical glitch that <laughs> you could hear me, you could talk to each other and I heard nothing. This has been phenomenal. The The last uh, question I have in the, in the last few minutes, it may be too big of a subject to handle in, in just three minutes. But one thing we talked about was the importance of testing and learning. How do you guys yeah. look at testing and learning? And, and how is that from a practical sense? How is that? executed. Emma, do you, I feel like. Yeah. So I can let Nick take the approach of how we go about testing and learning, but something that I probably heard in a talk or something is that don't just test to test. Often other teams outside of marketing will ask us to test something and you really need to go about testing, hoping for an actionable answer or an action or a directional answer at the very least. Because if you're testing just to test and you're not going to have an actual learning to take away from it, then it's a waste of time and a waste of effort. But if you can actually test something that will drive a result, will drive something that you can take away as a business decision moving forward, or at least is directional and is proxy for other additional learnings, then that's how you should approach testing. Another thing I'm sure I heard somewhere, but you can test yourself out of creativity if you just test something to death. So those are the things that we try to avoid and we may get a request for a test, but then it's going back to that person that requested it and asking them why or getting to the deeper root of why they want some kind of question answered and how we can approach that in a different way that again, isn't testing ourselves out of creativity because at the end of the day, and it comes back to what I mentioned earlier, it's trusting the marketing gut and yeah, have it backed up by data, trusting ourselves as marketers and how we are communicating to people again, bringing it back to that 
is the way to go about it. And I'll kick it to Nick for how we, we do a lot of testing, that's for sure. So I think the only thing that I'll add is that we think about is like learning, like testing is learning and, and creating a learning agenda and a roadmap for what are the things that we're trying to get a better sense of. And so that could mean creative testing, that could mean partner testing, that could mean tactics and placements. And But then again, having that healthy level of skepticism about what you're testing, knowing that there's so many additional things that could change the outcome or the perception of that test. But that being said, it is always fun to be able to have a hypothesis, test the hypothesis, and then see the, the outcome. And that exercise alone is valuable. Yeah, it comes back to the curiosity that we have so much yeah. as marketers, like learning is always going to be at the root you're of like, why we test something. You're like 25% scientist, 25% creative, 25% psychologist, and <laughs> 24% marketer, and then that 1% is a mystery. <laughs> it's dark matter. Yeah, yeah it, and it changes all the time. <laughs> Emma, when you mentioned, make sure you know what you're trying to test and test with purpose. I remember mm-hmm. when our first A-B testing came out, And there was just a line at the door. Let's test this. Let's test this. And I remember we got test happy and just, yeah, we can test that. Okay, let's test that. What did we learn? No idea. No idea. But one (laughs) test one. That's what we learned. A1 over B. What's that mean? I don't know. (laughs) That's great, though. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. I really would love to do an episode two. And if you guys are up for it, I'll reach out to schedule that. This has been fantastic. I'm reminded why our team and I enjoy working with you both so much, but really some great learnings here for our listeners. Learned a little bit more about each of you and your backgrounds are intriguing and you have so many good things to teach the marketing world. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having us. I know it works out that Nick and I have worked together for so many years. We tend to finish each other's sentences too. So, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you both. And if anyone wanted to get a hold of you or follow what you guys are doing, what's the best way that they can do that? Hit me up on Instagram or on LinkedIn. Either one works. And uh, yeah. Well, thank you both. I appreciate it. We will get episode two of the Nick and Emma podcast. (laughs) And thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Wow. What a great episode. Thank you, Nick and Emma. I loved chatting with you and learned so much. We didn't quite get a chance to talk about all the subjects, but so many things behind that. Gosh, where do I start? The first thing where Emma mentioned, this is an act of love. Like we are uh, loving our consumers by doing what we're doing. And that's really not been said. And I know I, I reacted that way on this episode, but that's true. I used to always say jokingly, we're changing the world one small retail transaction at a time. And so much of what we do as marketers really does that. It can change a person's day. And our job is really to understand them and to position ourselves to serve them. But I love the discussion on the psychology behind it. The goosebumps is a metric from the Coca-Cola CMO. What a great concept. The concept of the dark matter of marketing and the idea we can only know 1% and our job is to know as much of that 1% as we possibly can. Love the discussion on testing. And I think this is something 
we run into as marketers and digital marketers, we have so many tools at our disposal and sometimes we use them for no real intentional reason. And just like testing, test with an intent to understand an actionable answer or directional answer and always test and always try to learn from that, but don't test yourself out of the creativity. There's still, as Nick put it, there's still a lot of gut feeling and that gut is really tied to that 99% we don't know. I remember working forecasts and just like Nick and Emma, very seasoned forecast, very intentional, well thought out forecast. And we get into a meeting and then my manager would say, ah, you need to raise that 30%. And as I'm going through all the data, I'm like, I have nothing to back that up. And she's like, no, it's just going to be 30% higher than what you have. She was right almost every time. And that was something, as Nick said, is hard to learn. You need time. And so for those younger affiliate managers and marketers out there, know that it takes time. You can't replace time on board. I actually remember one of my very good friends, Steve Griffith, is, is an exceptional downhill skier. Sorry, his whole family is. A shout out to my family there. But he used to always tell me when I was learning to ski, like it's just time on board. You have to spend the time. Nothing can replace that time. So as you're trying to develop your gut on your marketing, just know it, it's just going to take time. You're going to have to make mistakes. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to test. Do it intentionally. Learn everything that you can about that 1%, about the 1% that's not dark matter. And I love the concept of marketing as a nudge. We're not going to be able to make people do anything, but we can nudge them in the right direction. So much to pull from that. I'm really looking forward to our next episode. We get to ask the rest of my questions here. Very excited about that. Nick and Emma, thank you so much. It's a joy to work with you. My team loves to work with you. And this conversation was nothing short of that. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for sticking around <laughs> through some technical issues. And you, the listener, thank you for sticking around too. You can follow Nick and Emma on Instagram and LinkedIn. We will include that in the show notes as well. If you wanted to reach out and ask them about some of the things they talked about today, you can definitely do that. If you found this valuable, please share it on Facebook, LinkedIn, X, and any social media platform that you use. And what would really help us get the word out about this is to leave us a five-star review, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us that five-star review. And if there is a topic or there is a guest you think we should have on the show, just email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. We would love to talk about that issue or have that person on the show. We are looking for season four guests. And if you'd like to be on there, then come on, let us know. Get help at jbcommerce.com. Almost all of our guests are first time podcast guests. So if you've never done it and you're thinking about doing it, don't worry, you'll be in really, really good company. Anyway, thank you so much, Nick and Emma. Thank you so much. It's great to work with you. Great to do this podcast with you. And I hope you all learned something today. Let us know. What's the one thing you learned? You can go to our Facebook page. Let us know what you learned from today's podcast. You guys have a great day. <laughs>